This morning, I want to just really talk a little bit about uh, fruit. Um, <clears throat> if, if, if you've been to the toilet here lately, you, you, you might have noticed on one of the walls in there, there's this big kind of screed or script, and actually there's, there's a copy of it up there on the welcome wall as well. And, um, <clears throat> you know, for those of you who like to read when they go to the toilet, that's there. It's available for them to read. For those who prefer not to read in the toilet, there's some on the wall over there. There's a screed on the wall over there, a script. Um, but basically, and there's one up the back there on the back wall as well. But it's just a, it's a script of... Um, when Putty Putman was here in September, late, late September last year, doing our national conferences with us around Australia. And there was this very strong sense that the Father was saying through that prophetic word that he's, God is drawing close to his people in this season. And in particular, the Father is drawing close to his people in this season. And, um, you know, I spent some time on Tuesday night with a bunch of men down at, the, uh, down, at the, down at the local and we had our Bibles and we had some beer and we had some conversation around who is it that we tend to need, you know, without thinking too much when we start praying, who do we incline ourselves to in terms of the Godhead? Do we lean easily towards the Father when we pray or do we find ourselves leaning more easily to Jesus? Or do we find ourselves connecting more readily and quickly with the Holy Spirit? Um, now, none of that's wrong in any way. It's, it's, all, it's all the Lord. Um, but there's, there's persons within our Godhead that God wants to make fully known to us. And in this season, we believe that both the Holy Spirit and Jesus are wanting to help us connect more with the revelation of the Father and as he's drawing near in this season. And um, we had a really great conversation around that on, um, on Tuesday night at the local and it was just some really great honest conversation about how we connect with God and who we more readily and easily connect to. And then we finished the evening with the sense that, you know, in John 17, the words of Jesus, how, you know, he wants to make known above all else the Father's love and that people would be drawn up into the heart of the Father and that they would be in the Father even as Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in Jesus. And then last Sunday when we were together, we spent some time reflecting on the baptism of Jesus. And we see in the baptism of Jesus um, that the, um, the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus in bodily, form, in bodily form and the words of the Father. I find it interesting that it's the word of the Father and the presence of the Spirit that brings the affirmation of who Jesus is over his life. Word and spirit, word and spirit, the Father's declaration and the power of the Spirit over Jesus. So I want to just talk a little bit about some fruit this morning. 
um, and the fruit of belonging to Jesus. Now, we've, we've been talking about how God's making all things new um, in the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ as his son. And we see that in Revelations, the book of Revelations. He's making all things new. And we've been unpacking that a little bit together as a, as a group of people following Jesus together. And we've discovered that when we do connect with Jesus, we come into these realities. We get a new father, a new kingdom, a new family, and a new life. And all of that by connecting with the reality of Jesus. And over the last month or so, we've had some amazing teaching from some folk here on all of these realities of what takes place when, as God is making all things new to us. We, by coming into a relationship with a new father, we get a whole new sense of the values of what's on the father's heart in terms of his kingdom, what's on Jesus' heart in terms of being a follower of of, of his what's in the work of the spirit and we've been unpacking that go back and have a listen if you haven't had a listen or you've missed a few episodes on all of these things that have been taught on it's on soundcloud or itunes i thoroughly recommend that you go back and have a look at or listen to some of that but this morning um, i want to just talk a little bit about some fruit but before we go there grab your bible open your bible um, and to Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, this is written by Paul, and he's just to give you a little bit of, you know, like framework so that you can understand who he's writing to and why he's writing. It's really good to be able to sort of hold that framework in place when we're reading parts of the Bible so we know what the author is, is on about, not just the author, why the Holy Spirit inspired the author to write that in the way that it's been written so that we would know the heart of the Father. Um, It's written at a time um, when there's this massive escalation in human thinking and human philosophy. It's kind of like, you know, while there's still loads of pagan practices and pagan spiritualities and all sorts of plethora of gods that are being practiced and worshipped all through the then known world, while all of that is still at play, all of a sudden with, uh, you know, the, the, um, the expansion of Rome and the influence of Roman thinking and philosophy, all of a sudden human thinking is becoming really high and elevated. And there's all sorts of philosophical approaches to solving the human dilemma. And that's what, that's what uh, basically all this human reasoning and philosophy is about, is to somehow solve the human problem, which is uh, things aren't so great. Something needs to somehow change so that we can all have a really full human experience, a flourishing one, a life-giving one. And that's what um, was driving a lot of all of these human philosophical ideas. And ultimately, it was in... Um, um, ultimately all this human reasoning was to be able to do this without, without God or without spiritual practices or without, um, and just, you know, Greek thinking and philosophy is kind of like material, earthly, you can work with, here it is, spiritual uh, realities are up there somewhere and there's a gap in between somehow, we don't worry about that, we just work with what we can and, um, and we can do all of this without God. And so all this reasoning is being elevated and lifted up. 
So that's what's going on in the culture at the time. We can do life without God, and this is how we do it, is basically the shorts, the shorts of it all. And um, it was written also to address the fact that um, we needed philosophy because the materialism that's available isn't satisfying the human need or the, the condition of the soul. The material things aren't actually cutting it uh, as much as they're trying to get ordered. Power doesn't do it because only a few have power and then the rest are um, living underneath the power of the few. Um, and influence, all of those things that people even had at different levels of society wasn't fixing the human experience. So it's into that context that Paul writes to this little group of Christians, this little group of churches in a city of Colossae. And Colossae is this city that has known the bright lights of economic prosperity. It has known the heights of it. It has known the benefits of materialism. It has known the benefits of influence and power. It was a, it was a strong trading route. It was, a, it was a point of strong economic influence. But the economy had moved on. And now Colossae was in the, what you would call the, um, uh, the eve of its, of its existence, the evening of its, its existence. The sun was setting on Colossae, because the economy had all moved. The trading routes had moved. All the power and the influence that was once there has now moved to where the economy is gone. And so this town, this city, while it, had, it at one point was the centre of economic prosperity, was now way out on the fringe. And no one was looking to buy in Colossae. <laughs> Everyone was looking to buy where the economy was. Now, if we, if we just kind of like try and what does that look like? Well, it looks like this. Once upon a time, about 20, 25 years ago here in, in Pine Rivers, Pine Rivers was its own shire. Some of you may remember that. Some of you may have only just moved, have not lived here that long. Some of you have moved into the area since then. But at that time, Pine Rivers had a mayor, and the mayor's name was Yvonne. Yvonne, amazing lady, great woman. And um, at that time, uh, Pine Rivers had this growing economy, lots of economy here in Pine Rivers. Buildings were going up, places were being built, shopping centres were being made. Once upon a time, the only Woolworths in town was down on the corner of where Subways is down there. There was a, there was a little Woolworths down there. And, but then all of a sudden, because I remember my mate used to push trolleys there on a, fr- a Thursday night and collect trolleys. Uh, but then all of a sudden came Westfields. You know, the economy grew. And with that, people came People, I remember people would drive on a Thursday night to do their shopping from Caboolture because there was no big thumping economic powerhouse like a Westfields in Caboolture. People would drive half an hour or more to come and shop down here and they would buy their goods here. Uh, Pine Rivers was a really strong hub. 
the people, uh, the houses were growing up, the economy was growing, schools were filling, and then what happened was probably about, I don't know, I forget, maybe 10 years ago or so, um, um, there was an amalgamation of shires and councils. Remember, we all had to go to the polls and vote about this sort of stuff. And so what happened was um, the Pine River Shire ceased to exist and it got amalgamated with the Redcliffe City, Shire, uh, Redcliffe City over there on the peninsula and also uh, the Caboolture uh, Council. And then it was renamed the Moreton Bay Regional Council or the Moreton Bay Region. Now, at this time... You know, those that were in influence in power thought that would be really great and a wonderful thing for it to happen. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but, and, and at the same time, as things were growing, the northern point of Pine Rivers um, was on the expanding edge of where Pine Rivers was and it was touching Redcliffe and Caboolture. And so what happened was some developers and some people with lots of smarts and influence, they went, let's build another hub up there where the growing edge is. And so they built another hub up there called North Lakes. And North Lakes just started to boom. Land was at a good price. Housing developers came in and gave a good price. And people from all over were moving to North Lakes moving to North Lakes. And those <clears throat> who had money, influence and power decided there's where the business is, we're moving there. And so what happened was everyone up stumps out of good old little old Pine Rivers because little old Pine Rivers is no longer where the, where the action is. It's up there on the northern tip where Pine Rivers, Redcliffe and, and Caboolture meet. <clears throat> so... Those with money decided to build shopping centres up there and all, the, all, all of the goods and services that go around those kind of hubs of economic activity and everything moved up there. And if you watched and if you had an eye to see and an eye to notice, all of the money and all of the people and all of the industry went there with it. And Strathpine, Pine Rivers, Launton, Bald Hill, all this area, Petrie, just slowly, slowly died. I don't know if you've noticed that. If you've been here long enough, that's the long story for us that are a little bit thinner on top and grey these days. We've kind of been watching the long story. So it's a bit, Colossae is a bit like a place like Pine Rivers. And, you know, there's all these other sort of reasonings and human dilemmas that are still going on and still they remain unfixed. But Paul wrote to the people of Colossae to say to them in the eve of their existence, he said to them, Jesus isn't just one answer among many for your condition, for your circumstances, for your economic situation, for your health and your life. He articulates, he says, Jesus is the only answer. And not only is he the only answer, he is the supreme answer. It's into that setting that Paul is writing. And, I, you know, as I listen to him writing to Colossae, I hear him speaking to my town, 
and to yours. The other thing he wrote about was the fact that there was all these people that were around kind of, because when things get hard, people will latch on to anything that sounds like it might be hope. When you're under duress and stress, you'll grab onto anything in the hope that it might give you answer and help. And so there was all these people running around at the same time going, here's the answer. I've got this new spiritual practice or I've had this new like serious revelation from the spirit that only I can receive and no one else can and therefore you will be benefit of my revelation. All of that sort of yahoo was going on around the edges of the people of Jesus and even infiltrating it. And Paul's like saying, watch out, folks. Don't buy that gum. Don't buy that gum. That's not true. There is only one, and it's Jesus. He's the only revelation, and you don't have to be some sort of super spiritual, hyper elevated person to be able to have an understanding of the fact that God loves you in Jesus. He is for everyone and everyone can access Jesus. It's into, it's into that that Paul's writing. Colossae was now fading into the sunset and yet it was this hub of spiritual renewal it was in the ashes of a city that had lost its identity because the economy was gone. The people had moved on. And yet it became the fertile ground for a renewing work of God in the people that were there. You've got to know the times in which you're living. And you've got to know why God's planted you where he's planted you. Open your Bible, open your app quickly, Colossae chapter 1. How are we going, Michael? <laughs> Colossae chapter 1. <clears throat> we got it? I haven't got it on the screen, so you're going to have to if, open it up on your Bible or your app. Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. And I'm going to pick up in verse 3. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all of God's people, the faith and the love that spring from the hope stored up for you in the heavens about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You have learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit, that is, the Holy Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all of the wisdom and the understanding that the Holy Spirit gives, so that we may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from a dominion 
from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. The Son, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, and all things have been created through him and for him. He is before everything, and in him everything holds together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself all things to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. <clears throat> so here's some of the bits of fruit uh, that Nicole and I are walking through at the moment and that we're experiencing in this season. Oh. Firstly, <clears throat> the Father's qualifying love. Uh, recently, Nick and I, we've been, over the last six months, we've been ploughing through this book that we've really enjoyed, written by John Ortberg. And if you haven't got it, get it. It's called Soul Keeping. I think I've mentioned it a few times. Please take the time to order it for yourself. Um, and in it, he tells of these great moments of little story that he has with um, Dallas Willard, another great Christian um, person who is interested in you know, seeing people come fully alive in Jesus. And anyway, um, in that book, John tells this little story of how he was going to be interviewing Dallas at a conference where there was going to be something like 10,000 young people under the age of 25 years of age. And so Dallas, at this stage, is in his latter years. He, he wears his folky old clothes and he even puts on a tie for the occasion because it's so important. So he wears this little tie that doesn't quite go past here, apparently. And, you know, he's dressed all folky and he's, he's with this crowd of young people under 25 years of age. And Ortberg, who's interviewing him in front of this crowd, is wondering, oh my gosh, how is this even going to go? So like after all of the energy of, you know, the lights and the noise and the smoke machines and everything at all like, and everyone's amped up, onto the stage comes Ortberg ready to interview Dallas Willard. And Ortberg is like, ah, oh, this is not going to go well. I'm just, I'm not sure about this. But anyway... He interviews him 
And it's, the place is full of thousands of young pastors, young wannabe pastors, musicians, artists, young people who think that they've got it all sorted. And it's a room filled with every cultural current tool you could think of and mechanism. And Dallas then is um, asked this question by Ortberg. He says, um, when he was asked about a life, having a life of ministry to Jesus, Dallas replied, what matters most is not the accomplishments that we achieve. What matters most is the people we become. And it was like one of those moments, you know, where they do the mic drop. You know, it was one of those moments where all of a sudden there was just this great sense of thud into the hearts of the audience of all of these, this next generation. Ortberg read that as a moment of, I don't think this is going well. I don't think that Dallas is connecting with this generation. Del- Dallas had no great charismatic way about him, no great passion on display, no dramatic stories, nothing, nothing at all, no stories at all. When the interview was over, though, this entire conference of 20-somethings, like 10,000 of them, rose to their feet and they cheered for moments and minutes on end from what Dallas had just offered them. And Ortberg says, it was at that moment I was a little bit of a loss to account for this response from this massive pool of young people towards this old man. But he says, but then it occurred to me. The soul is searching for a father. You see, there's this base cry in every generation. doesn't matter if we're young or old. There is this baseline, fundamental heart, soul cry that comes out of every human being. And the psalmist said it in Psalm 82.4, My soul yearns for the living God. My soul yearns for the living God. Your soul yearns for a father. My soul yearns for a father. One of the great joys of meeting with Jesus is that he introduces us to his father. And even as Paul says it there in uh, Colossians 1 verse 12, he says, it's the father's love who's qualified us to have a share in what he's doing in his and through his people. You know, most of the time, we, you know, culturally we've been brought up with, you know, just in terms of uh, education and vocational aspirations and life goals and dreams and all of that, we've, 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 we set ourselves on these pathways of qualification. We live in a culture of qualification. You must do this before you can do that. You must achieve this before you can prove yourself worthy of being allowed to use that. You must, I was just talking to a guy the other night and he was like, I just wanted to go for a ride in this joyride in this helicopter. He said 10 years ago, it was just a case of in his workplace, they would just say, yeah, come on, let's, you know, we're on a break. Let's go for a quick whiz around in the chopper. And they'd just pile in and go for a quick ride around in the chopper. He said, now, forget it. Now, if you just want to go for a quick joyride with the crew in the chopper, you have to go to the Gold Coast to a specific training facility where you must learn how to be 
how to get out of a submerged helicopter in time of an emergency. So you have to get into a suit and harness up and get locked into this little cage and then you get tipped into the water and upside down out of which you must escape before you are qualified to go for a ride in the helicopter with your mates. Qualification culture. Sounds silly, doesn't it? But that's what we're living in. And you've got to understand, this isn't, this, and again, this is, some of this is just like sensible thinking. Other parts of this is just silliness. But nonetheless, it's again, Paul writing into qualification culture that says, Paul's speaking into that, he's saying, no, you don't need special qualifications to know God. You don't need to have proven yourself. You don't need to have done something special. You don't need to have like performed in any way. It's the love of God who has come to you in Jesus that qualifies you to know him. This is, this is counter-cultural. This is why when people first begin to make the journey towards the Father, as they begin to meet Jesus, they're like a little bit like, what have I got to do? What have I got to do? You don't have to do anything other than receive what is being given to you. Paul talks about this. It's a free gift from God. It's called grace, not qualification. Grace. It's this love of God that just reaches towards and says, I love you and I'm inviting you to live life on my terms with me through my son Jesus. And you can tell along the way, you know, I've been, I've been around people a bit in my, in my, just like you guys, but I've been around people a bit in my area of vocation. And you can tell when people are living under the, under the revelation and living in the revelation of the fact that they know they've been qualified by the Father's love. Because they're people that have received the love of God and they generously give it away. And you can tell others who haven't quite caught it yet because they're still pushing and pulling and working hard to figure out what have I got to do to be able to participate in this. There's no push and pull. It's you receive the gift of God, of grace through Jesus Christ. This is one of the great joys that Nicole and I, in this season of the Holy Spirit, are really enjoying again. Just these waves of the qualifying love of God. Because I don't know if you've noticed it in your life, but I've noticed, we've noticed it in our life. The more we say yes to Jesus, the more he places us in these opportunities that are well beyond our capacity to solve, to fix, to orchestrate, to manage, to make happen. And he keeps taking us out there so that we might know it's the love of the Father that will see us through this. It's his qualifying love that leads us out there 
and it's his grace that leads us through there. You know, when we say yes to Jesus, he, he does intentionally take us out into those thin places where it's a little challenging and beyond our capacities. But that's the generosity of God to set us free so that we might flourish. The Father's qualified you. There's nothing to earn here in this. It's the Father gracing the presence of his kingdom to us in the way that we live our lives. It's the way that he continues to grace us as a people in a city. This group of people. I love this church, man. I love the story. I love the long story of the faithful, sustaining grace of God in this church and through this church, continuing to reach into this community watching this community going from being a hub of life and economic activity to now being on the fringe. And yet now, if we're paying attention, we can see that even the city is starting to come to life again, if we're paying attention. As we've cried out, as we've gathered with pastors and leaders and friends of Jesus from all parts of the body of Jesus in this region over the last 15 years and said, oh God, don't forget us. Pour out your spirit on our people, on our town, in our streets, in our churches, while everyone rushes off to where the big hub and the action is. You've called us to stay here and be faithful and honour you and love the people that you send by the presence of your spirit. Don't forget us, oh God. And as we've gathered with pastors and leaders from all over this area, we're again beginning to see God hear our prayer and not just hear our prayer, answer our prayers. There's opportunity and economic development returning again. And while some people would ascribe that to their own intellect and high-browed activity to be able to plan and think and take opportunity of investment in cheap land, we think of it as the kindness of God who in the supremacy of Jesus is holding all things together that our town and the people of our town would know that God loves them and he is aware of their needs. When we know that the Father's love qualifies us, we don't lead, we don't live for his approval. We don't do it in such a way that I do life every day like a kid running down the 100-metre track with the parent on the sideline. And the kid running down the 100-metre track going, I hope, I hope my folks are watching me in this moment. I don't have to live like that anymore. Because God has said, I'm for you. I've sent Jesus. My eyes are fixed on you. And I can run every day, live every moment, without wondering if God is looking and gaze and his favour and his love is for me, when he has clearly already said that it is through Jesus. And I can now live as his kid, free. I don't have to impress my father in heaven. But you know what? My heart is to want to bless him. When we know the Father's qualifying love, we live from his approval, not for his approval. And Nicole and I, we are just like deep in that right now. That's where we're living right now. 
living from the Father's love. Not for it, but from it. Another bit of fruit that we're working on in this season that we're really seeing God um, at work in our personal lives is the work of the Spirit. Paul talks there in Colossians about how he's not stopped praying for the people of Colossae to be filled continually, like filled continually. And that word filled, if I was to take this cup and keep pouring water into it, it would be that it would be not to the brim, the, the, the word actually means brimming over, brimming over, filled continually, over and over and over and over and over. Paul's prayer is, God, fill them, fill them, fill them, fill them, fill them, fill them continually. Not a one-time baptism of the Spirit, Loads of those awesome, like, real power encounter moments. But every day, fill them, God, to overbrimming so that their whole life would be flooded with the knowledge, the wisdom, the help, and the power of the Holy Spirit. A couple of months ago, in April, I had to go over to um, spend some time with some of our vineyard churches in Western Australia. And as, we were, as I was preparing for the trip, I was really tired and I got into the car and Nicole was driving me to the airport and I just said, I'm really tired even before I get on the plane to go and do this sort of like seven days of just like, fill them, God, fill them, God, give them everything they need, God, give me what I need so that they can get what they receive, God. I was so tired and Nick said, that's all right, I'll pray for you. And as we pulled up at the drop-off zone at the airport, she just reached over to me put her hand whack, into my chest and she just said, Holy Spirit, fill him. Give him everything and more. And then she said, all right, see ya, have a great trip. <laughs> oh, thanks, babe. <clears throat> but it was amazing because during that trip, I, you know, so I flew over there. It was a five-hour flight. I grabbed this car, high car. I drive three hours sort of out into the sort of southern area of Western Australia, <clears throat> and as I drive out there, I'm a bit exhausted, and then I get there to this little town, this little town of 300 people where we have a vineyard church, <clears throat> and this vineyard church has 15 people in it. Out of 300, I think they're doing all right. They've got a whole bunch of the town there in their church, and they do this little thing on Friday nights with some of the kids in town. And they're just loving as best they can the people that God is sending in their little town. And as I'm sitting there, I'm having lunch with them, but I'm conscious of the fact that as I'm finishing eating lunch, I need to be somewhere else. I need to be two and a half hours away for another event that I'm supposed to be speaking at that I hadn't had a chance to prepare for yet. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I'll eat, eat, eat. And if I can eat fast enough, maybe I could exit quick, create about a half hour space for myself to find some time on the side of the road to get ready to go to speak at this next group I was going to. But as it happened, as I said to them when <laughs> I'm finishing lunch, I said, oh, I think I need to go now. And they were like, oh, you know, they couldn't believe it that I'd come for a start, that I would take the time to go there. And as I'm praying, I say, so I say to the first person to my right, I just say, hey, I just 
let me pray for you. And as I held their hand, all of a sudden it was like the Holy Spirit, the prophetic grace of the Holy Spirit just landed on me with the heart of the Father. And Anyway, so I had this five-minute prophetic word for this one person. And then I look around the table and I'm like, I got 12 more to go. <laughs> Blow me down. The Holy Spirit filled me. He filled me in that moment to the point where he gave me a prophetic word for each of those people from the heart of the Father, for these people that live in isolation and desperate circumstances, and yet the kingdom's with them and they just need to know it. And someone just needs to help them point it out to see God's with them. It was amazing. So I get all this prophetic stuff done. <laughs> and then I get in the car and I'm like, thanks, Holy Spirit. I'm like, now not only don't I have any time to stop on the side of the road to get some more time to prepare for this next meeting, I'm late. (laughs) So I get in the car and I'm driving. It's a two and a half hour drive from where I am to this next place, which was a group of people who are um, finding Jesus is drawing them together. And there's a couple of folk that we know in the midst of that group. There's this little kingdom community being built just south of, I think it's south (laughs) of Bunbury, in Western Australia, and they were having this evening of worship in their garage. And so there's all these um, prodigals and people that are just isolated and turn up. There's like 25 to 30 of them in the room. And they're having this great worship time, and then they said to me, hey, listen, Kirk, we've got about two more songs in us, and then you're it, you're up. And I'm like, okay. And I was just like, all right, God, what on earth do you want to say to them? And he gave me one word. He said, Lydia. I'm like, Lydia. She's in the book. So I get my Google out. I'm like, Lydia, book of Acts. She's the small businesswoman from the town of Thyatira, but she was living in Philippi, working and building a business in Philippi. She traded in cloth, like the best cloth. Not just any cloth, the best cloth. And she had a whole small business under her activity. And anyway, she's on the side of the banks one day, it's, it's in, in the book of Acts, on the banks of the river one day, and Paul turns up and sees Lydia. And he leads Lydia to the Lord, and her whole company, business, small business, comes to the Lord. And then there's no, there's no um, um, explicit um, witness to this in the Scripture, but there's an implied in the Scriptures that she, Lydia, went from Philippi as a successful business person, a, a handler of goods and trade and economies and knowing how to do good deals and everything. And she went back to Thyatira and planted the church of Jesus Christ in Thyatira. Awesome. And so as I'm reading all this through and being refreshed in that, I'm like, I think God you want to do something tonight to bless the women that are in this room. (laughs) I just put the two and two together. And so as I got up and I shared about that, the Holy Spirit fell in power on the women in the room. Women got delivered of oppression and being oppressed and suppressed. There were some small business women in that meeting who have got amazing businesses, but for some reason have just been like held back a little. And so we prayed that the Lord would elevate, liberate and set them free to be able to be great prosperers of economy for the sake of the kingdom through their activities. It was amazing. And before the end of the night, these women are all filled with the Spirit and then they are prophesying at us men. Let me tell you. 
Forget being passive, fellas, when you're in the midst of women like that who are filled with the Spirit. Forget your passivity. But Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. I got a message in a moment that saw the kingdom come for the sake of, a, of all these women and a community of people. That's why Paul says, be filled, be filled, be filled. You'll receive a message in a moment for the people that you're with, the person that you're having coffee with, the person that you're talking. You'll get a message in the moment if you're filled, filled, filled with the Spirit. And not only will you get a message for the moment, you'll turn up at situations thinking, I got nothing for him. But by the time you've left, you have delivered everything of the Father's heart to them who are there. Such is the kindness of God. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. The nature and the life of the kingdom of God means we need to be continually filled with the Spirit. It's a message and ministry of Jesus that's done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Not human reasoning. It's the power of the Spirit accompanying the Word of God that sets people free to come into the kingdom. Not our great elevated thinking. As great and as elevated our thinking is as a gift to God, as the Spirit uses that, absolutely. But alone, Paul's saying, no. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's why you need to be filled in with the Spirit. You need to be filled with the Spirit so that you would have, and Paul talks about it there a little bit in one Colossians 1, about having a life of power of a life of great endurance. You know, I just, I did this in Melbourne at my leadership conference the other week when we were down in, in, in Victoria. I just said, I want to honour the people from my local church who heard the Spirit call them together, even while I was living in North Queensland. And he drew them together with the heart of God for a region of people to begin a church. I said, I just want to honour them because they're still there cheering me on. And they've been there 25 years doing that. Sowing, giving, praying, praying, partnering. And I just like, I thank God for those people. As much as I thank God for every single one of you as well. But there's something about endurance that testifies to God. Even when a town is dying, yet there's a people he's prospering. I just want to give thanks to God for the people around me who've just continued to say, keep going, don't stop. We need to be filled with the power of the Spirit for, for great endurance and for patience, Paul says. If you had a quick chat with Nick, she could, she could run off a list for you of all of the areas of our relationship where the Holy Spirit has graced her with patience. You know that patience word in the, in the Greek? Long-suffering. <laughs> and yet, anyone else would have given up. 
yet because the Spirit of God is in her for my life. She's just like, no, man, patience. That's just part of the deal. That's the, that's the fruit of the Spirit. That's why we need to be filled. That we could have patience with, with God. That we could have patience with our significant others, with our spouses, with our children. That we could have patience with each other. That we could have patience for the, the delay of the kingdom coming. Great endurance, patience, and joy and thanksgiving to the Father. There's many, many reasons for us to walk the human experience every day to, and to be filled with cynicism and frustration. Cynicism and frustration. And yet the journey of following Jesus in the power of the Spirit under the qualifying love of the Father, the fruit of that is joy and thanksgiving, Paul says. That's why we just kind of pressed the thing this morning, the, elevator, you know, the accelerator on that this morning. Take some time. Thank the Lord. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's actually there in you to be given to God. It's fruitfulness in your life and mine to be able to bring that thanksgiving to God. Now, life was never made to be easy. We all know that. But there is an easy yoke to walk life with. Jesus. Jesus says, take my yoke on you. My ways are easy. I'm gentle, humble of heart. Doesn't mean it's life's going to be easy. But there's an easy yoke with whom we can walk life. Continually brimming over. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push pause on this message right there. There's two other bits of fruit that I do want to talk about, but we're just going to push pause on it right there. That big section of the Bible that we just read about how Paul sees Jesus as this amazing compelling reality as the son of God he is so compelling and at the same time he our lives can be filled with the love of Jesus that compels us to do life in the kingdom of God last Sunday when we were here at Vineyard I had the privilege of um, standing up here teaching and seeing what was going on for a number of people as, as we were teaching, as the Holy Spirit was ministering to people. And there was this one gentleman here. He's not here today, so I can, I'll sort of talk around this. But um, he was a young gentleman. It's his first time in church. He came with his workmate. His workmate invited him to come to church. And as I just started to talk about how, like Jesus, when he was led by the Spirit into the desert... One of the things that Jesus had to overcome was the nature of his flesh and the hunger of his flesh. And as soon as I started to talk about that, this young man started, he's literally physically sitting there and he started twitching. And I went, oh, I'm going to pay attention to that. I think God's about to set him free. I didn't see some blue light. I didn't see some 
like crazy spiritual thing. All I saw was a guy twitching when I started to talk about God wants to set our flesh free. Well, anyway, as it happens, um, this young guy, his workmate who brought him, the workmate came out the front to do some business with God and then his, this bloke came with him out the front. The workmate's getting some prayer and this visiting guy, he, he was just watching a few of us that were there, hands on, praying, not sure quite what he was doing. And so he puts his hands on. He's like, okay, so this is what you must do in this moment. And he's doing that. And then after about, you know, five minutes or so of the guy getting some prayer, I just turned to this young guy and I just said, do you know Jesus? He goes, no. I said, what do you think about what's going on here? He goes, it's pretty powerful. I said, I noticed when I was talking about, you know, the flesh and addictions and stuff, I noticed your body started flinching. I said, what was going on for you there? He said, oh, mate, it was like this power was just like, touching my body and I was like oh he said I didn't know what it was I said do you want to know what it is he goes yeah I said that's Jesus I said Jesus has come to set you free from it do you want to get free of it he goes oh yeah and he listed all this stuff he said I want to get free of this and I want to get free of that I said well that's why you can do that I said first thing is I think it'd be really good if you actually asked Jesus to come into your life. I think he's already introducing himself to you by way of those power shocks. <laughs> and he's gone, yeah. I said, good, close your eyes. Closed his eyes. I said, I just want you to picture Jesus in front of you. Now, what picture of Jesus? I have no idea what picture of Jesus. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit would reveal Jesus. <laughs> I don't have it intellectually nailed. I'm like, God, help. I said, can you see him? He goes, yes. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and then I just helped introduce him to Jesus and Jesus to him, and they exchanged lives. This guy gave his life to Jesus and asked Jesus to come into his life. And at that point, he started to be filled with the love of God. And then I said, would you like to meet Jesus' father? He goes, Yes. And so we just said, close your eyes again. I said, picture the father. Not your dad. Jesus, you know the one you just met? His dad. And I said, can you see him? Yeah. And then we just had Jesus introduce this guy to the father. And you should have seen it was like a wave of, I don't know, it was like liquid love just whoa, washed over him. It was amazing. And I said, do you want to meet the Holy Spirit? He goes, yeah. I said, well, there's something you've got to do first. He said, what's that? I said, you know all those things that you listed that you were, said you like, got issues with in your flesh? I said, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to picture them. I said, pretend they're like people standing in front of you. Put a face on those things. He said, I said, can you see them? He goes, oh, yeah. I said, get a good look at them right in the eye. He goes, I'm looking. I said, now you tell them their day in you is done. And you tell them, get out. He said, so he did. He just said, I tell this, get out of me. I rebuked the power of that. Get out of me. And we just let him, he, got, he delivered himself. <laughs> 
we were just kind of coaching him along the way. And he got set free of that stuff. I said, now, I said, now all those places in you that were filled with those, those old things, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to fill those places in you. I said, you want that? He goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> and there's so much power of God flowing through this guy in this moment. It's outstanding. Just a, it was just kind of over here, about two foot in front of you, Michael. And as, as the Holy Spirit introduced himself to this guy, he was filled with the Spirit. Now, that's a good day's fishing. Is this guy's life all sorted out as a disciple of Jesus? No. Nah. Is he all cleaned up? No. Nah. Has he got a hook in his heart with the love of God in it? Yep. Are we going to trust the seed of the kingdom of God that's been born into that heart in that moment to bear fruit and life and expand and grow just like a mustard seed till it becomes a tree and others can come and live in that same place? Yep. How are we going to orchestrate that? We're not. We're going to partner with what the Spirit is doing. That's what it means to be a Spirit-led people. We look for what the Father's up to and we join in. That was so awesome. I thought that was a really hot moment. I went home and I said to Nick, I said, that pays my bills. In the best sense, you know, like, in the best sense. It's like, you know, that just flipped my burger. That was, you name it. Filled my tank. Filled my tank. Let's go with that. (laughs) It was so, I was just like, I drove out here. I'm like, hot dang, go God, you are awesome. You know what happened here on Friday night? For some reason in their wisdom, the young, adult, the young adults that run the youth ministry here, they said to me, Kirk, would you come and speak to our young people on Friday night? I said, sure, man. Come along. They said, keep it short. <laughs> I said, I'll do my best. <laughs> anyway, we just gave this very short message. And then at the end of the message, I just asked a question. And the question was, who wants a new heart? Like Jesus, you know. And like five young people, there was 28 of them here, 28 young people on a Friday night down here, all hands on deck, folks. Um, And these 28 young people here, five of them put their hands up. And I said, you guys are so courageous. Well done. Why don't you just come on up here with me? And we're going to pray for you. So those five people, as they got up, another 13 came with them. 18 of them. We're all just out the front here. Asking for Jesus' heart in their heart. And then they're all like, we want you to be the king of our heart, Jesus. (laughs) And then I said, you know, one of the fruits of having Jesus in your heart is you like to make a confession, Paul says. It's like it pops out of your mouth. And usually what comes out of your mouth is, I believe Jesus died and rose again. I said, if that's, if that's going on for you, you really believe that right now? Why don't you just say that out loud? Well, all 18 of them are just like, Jesus, I believe that you died and you rose from the dead. I said, boom, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You've just entered the kingdom of God. Now, half of them were probably do-overs. It was their second or third or fourth or fifth time up there giving their lives to Jesus. Good on them. Every time there's a new revelation, there's a new commitment to be made. Boosh. The other half, I'd never seen them before. 
they just they were friends of friends that came along. They got caught up in what God was doing. Are they all sorted out? Are they all hot to go, disciples of Jesus? Well, they're hot in the sense that they're filled with Jesus and they've got all the tools they need to be able to go and share what's just happened. But do they know what it means to live the kingdom life? No. <laughs> they've just met God and entered his kingdom. Good. That was a good night fishing, Jake, Bo. That was a good night fishing with the team that was here on Friday night. Are they cleaned up yet? Nope. Got a lot of cleaning to do. You want to help clean some fish? Come and hang out with these guys on a Friday night. If you haven't seen fish get caught in a while, come and hang out with these guys. If you haven't seen fish getting caught in a while, start looking for the fish to be caught. Friends, the Holy Spirit is at work in this season, making all things new in us and through us, here in this fellowship of believers and in our region, if we would just have the eyes to see. My prayer for us all is that, like Paul, we would realise that it's the Father's love that qualifies us to join in all of this great party. We don't have to improve, impress him or prove anything to him. His love is for us and not against us. And that there is now a work of the Spirit, again, just pouring himself in continually, 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 because even if that's Paul's prayer for that church in Colossae, that's how Nick and I and others in this place have been praying for 25 years. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Um, we might sound like an old record, but there's a reason why the record is playing. Let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, we give you... Um, thanks and love for all that's going on here this morning. We thank you that your kingdom is, is, is just breaking in all over, the, all over the world today and even right here in our hearts in this moment. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you just take this, this, this sense of like what you're doing in this season and would you just let it land where it needs to land in us? The Father's qualifying love, living from your love rather than living for your love. Oh, you've qualified us to share in it. Thank you, Lord. Set us free from every inhibiting, qualifying paradigm and spirit that is not of you, Lord. We receive your kingdom. We receive your love.